Hello from Austin. Welcome to episode 152 of the National Security Law Podcast. We are brought to you by the Robert Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Wednesday. It's January 29th. It's 2020. It's Bobby Chesney. It's Steve Vladek. Here we are. Hello. Nice to see you. Hello. Nice to see you. How are your classes going now that we've uh, gotten a week and a half into the semester? I love Fed courts. <laughs> you I, don't I, say. I, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew that. I, I walk into that class happy and I walk out of that class happy. What, what kind of looks are on your students' faces at well, those two points in time? That's a separate problem. I bet, I bet they're actually a lot happier than the typical Fed court student, which is the relevant comparison. I, I, I walk in the first day of class and I say, guys... If I do my job right, this is going to be the hardest class you take in law school and the funnest. Um, nice. And, 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 you know, I'm going for both of those things in equal measure. I like that. I think that's actually a great framing. I really firmly believe as a pedagogical matter and also for our own enjoyment of our jobs, throwing yourself yeah. into the role. And yeah. it is a kind of a role. Oh, we're, act, we're, into we're, the we're, we're, act, we're, we're performing. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, in co- so we're five classes in yeah. for constitutional law. Yeah. Uh, the students are awesome. The, they, the, the constitution's still there. Yeah, it, well, yeah, indeed. It is It is pretty funny. Some of the topics that used to not feel like they had a lot of permanent, you know, current residents. Like the pardon residents. power? Uh, you know, there's stuff. There's um, stuff. But today I got to talk. We're still in the early republic. I got to talk about the quasi war with France. Ooh, um, little versus Bereave, the case of the flying fish. Uh, we weren't doing that one, but it was it was certainly on my mind. Uh, um, no, we were talking about the uh, Alien and Sedition Acts of 1798. Oh, uh, so the Alien Act, also known in context as the Friendly Alien Act, to as distinguish it from the Alien the, Enemies, exactly. The a- alien Alien Friends, Alien Enemies, and the Alien Enemy Act is still on the books. Uh, yeah, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that that is. Uh, here's a question. Maybe you know the answer to. Quasi war. Yes. So we're us and the French. True. Having a little maritime war, but nothing uh, on land. A, 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 uh, a contretop, you might say. So did that make French citizens subject to the Alien Enemies Act, or was it only the Alien Friends Act? You could get only the with? Alien Friends Act because it wasn't declared and exactly. Wasn't... And the Alien Enemies Act has been interpreted, and I think it was amended in the 1950s to make explicit that the state of war required for the Alien Enemies Act is a declared war. And so, if you're going to an AUMF count, or is it require the magic word? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think it would probably require the magic words, but you know that would be a separate fight. But I think the the imperfect authorizations that the court relies upon in Little versus Bereem and Bass versus Tingey, um, I think wouldn't qualify. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, I think under the formalistic conceptions yeah. and the the strict categorical distinctions that were so typically embraced back then. But do you know why Little versus Bereem is so near and dear to my heart? You're into commander in chief override type issues. Damages. Oh, because they were suing the captain for damages. Right. Did, the, did Congress the, the, uh, indemnify him? Um, yes, uh, to a Captain degree. Bereem, right? Not no, Captain, captain Little. Little. Cap- was Captain Little? Captain Little. Yeah. Um, so yes, he. Was, I mean, Jim Fanner's written extensively about the indemnification piece of this. There was indemnification, but Chief Justice Marshall, writing in 1804, has no problem awarding damages yep. to a Navy officer or, or against a Navy. Officer. Well, uh, yep. against a Navy officer in a time of at least imperfect war for actions taken outside the territory of the United States. They were. They were. Who ordered, knew? They were ordered by his commander in chief, right. no less. That's right. But. That weren't within the bounds that Congress had set. You exceeded. You exceeded the statute. Therefore, you must pay. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Those were the days, man. <laughs> Steve Vladek was in the salad days. Yeah. All right. So today, friends, yeah, on the so. show, here's what we got. We've got. You may. You may not know this, but we've got some breaking news. There's an impeachment underway, um, and people are interested in whether John Bolton's going to testify. We're going to look ahead to the possibility that the probability that there will be a subpoena for Bolton. And then we'll talk about what it would look like uh, legally and procedurally should the executive branch try to stop him nonetheless. 
Um, we'll pivot from that and other impeachment related talk to uh, a fascinating move by the Justice Department in the FISA court relating back to the inspector general's report on the investigation in FISA applications relating to Carter Page. DOJ uh, told the court at least two of those applications should not have been submitted. Well, you know, in some ways it's like, well, duh, read the report. On the other hand, like, whoa, that Justice Department does not normally go in and concede that ground. Um, And it's very interesting because, well, we'll talk about why it's interesting because it has implications for something that may happen or may not happen six weeks from now. Indeed. Beware the Ides of March, my friends. Uh, well, Julius our, Caesar didn't it didn't end well for him. You got you got to listen to those those yeah, the prognostications. The problem with prophecies, you know, they tended to be kind of indirect. Like, what exactly do you mean? It's a it's, the, it's a great line. Uh, Judge Friendly has this fantastic line in dissent about Cassandra. Right. The problem with Cassandra's predictions is that you didn't know which ones would come true and which ones were just crazy. <laughs> you know, I've felt that way sometimes about other such things. There you go. Um, all right, and then it's really hard to make predictions. Especially, Especially about, about the, future. the future. Thank you, Yogi. Um, but no, no, not Yogi. Not a Yogi. That's so, not a Yogi Berra. So I actually I had to run this down for a footnote for a law review article. Um, because so, so who was it? Uh, so it is it is of unknown origin, but it predates Yogi. Okay, but he did say it. He did say it. Well, he made it famous. Okay, I feel vindicated. Yeah, but after I mean, a moment of feeling, we gotta give credit where credit's due. And yet we can't. Well, true. <laughs> Somebody. It's hard to make citations, especially about people we don't know. Indeed. (laughs) Um, We'll turn our attention to Gitmo, and we'll note the uh, unfolding, fascinating testimony by Mitchell and Justin. Is it both of them, by the way? Are they both testifying? Relating to uh, their creation of the EIT program, the the prisoner abuse, the torture program, uh, relating to people who are waterboarded, et cetera, which is all unfolding in the context of the KSM and co-defendants 9-11 trial. Um, and then while we're on the subject of military courts, we will explore an interesting question. Um, could Gallagher be brought? Well, you, you should explain the provocation, right? That Eddie Gallagher, the the, the war criminal seal who President Trump pardoned, um, yep. right, uh, put, a, put a video on Facebook yesterday talking about naming and identifying the units of all the soldiers who he thinks wronged him. Gave some gave addresses, I yep. believe, didn't yep. he? Yep, So um, lots of PII, personally identifiable information. Interesting. So lots of interesting questions sort of uh, from a legal perspective oh, about yeah. uh, whether it could, is this guy, and, and you've got a dog in this fight, I do believe. <laughs> is, and it's interesting because it's complex for you, I'd imagine. Is he someone who could be uh, subjected to court-martial? And if so, what kind of charge so, 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 would actually and, be and relevant just, just there? to spoil a little bit of the conversation, right? Everyone's like, he retired. No, he's in the Fleet Reserve. And under Article 286 of the UCMJ, he's subject to court-martial. I I so when I, you and I were tweeting yeah. about this, and I just posed the question, hey, yeah. military justice experts such as you, yeah. um, is this guy, you know, could there be a UCMJ? I, I thought, hey, hey, military justice experts and Steve. And Steve. <laughs> that was the inclusive and, <laughs> not the exclusive one. And uh, speaking of, and so all of these people start weighing in, many of whom seem to know something about what they're talking about. And then, of course, being Twitter, it's like, oh, that's me. I've got it. Hey, dumbass. He's out of the military. Yeah, he retired. What are you talking about? All right. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for playing. Law, tw- Twitter law. Hashtag. Okay. Now, all of this is, is a segue that will set us up, of course, for some quality, frivolity, I anticipate here. Because today, after we go through the substance, we are going to talk about Picard. Picard. And and I think we'll also talk about Kobe Bryant's passing. Less frivolous. Much less frivolous, much more serious, but 
off topic at least. Indeed. So, all right, let's diving in. John Bolton, he's back. Okay, where is he? So I listened. You know, I was listening we're to. Gonna, we're going to read his book in a skiff. That's how we're. That, that'll show him. <laughs> um, this is like the all-time greatest marketing. I'm sure, I don't remember which publisher has the book, but they have. Well, got oh, to no, be. it's all conspiracy. It's the same publisher that had Comey's book. <laughs> and don't you know it's uh, it's the deep state? No, the deep state has moved to the publishing right. houses on Madison Avenue. So so the strings on the walls of the the fever-minded conspiracy theorists Seriously. can can put the publisher at the uh, the middle of the, at the apex. Yes. So um, there was a really funny comment when uh, Lawfare Podcast had, has been doing some human service by condensing everything uh, uh, through the report uh, podcast feed, which is definitely worth doing. But they've also just had some discussion podcast. And I listened yesterday to a great one where Ben Wittes um, observed at some point that there's this waiting for a Godot kind of quality. <laughs> like we're all – it's like this brooding omnipresence, this mustachioed omnipresence looming Ever off the stage, but everything on stage is taking place in the shadow of it. It's such a so perfect. But I also couldn't help thinking, like, is it is it waiting for Godot or is it waiting for Guffman? Because there's a little bit of a Guffman kind of quality yeah. to this too, don't you think? Yeah. Um, and and the, and of course, the grave concern is like, is this just like another Mueller report type of thing where people pin all sorts of ideas and hopes and dreams and expectations and fears on all sides of the issue? on something that in the end is going to land pretty flat. Um, do you think that's likely to be the case? Or do you think that if he gets in there and testifies, he's going to, you know, both barrels blazing? I think the Republicans are deeply afraid that Bolton's going to mess up their narrative. Um, and, you know, and I think we've seen that from trying to, you know, not just immediately saying we're going to let him testify, not just, sort of, you know, the efforts to discredit him, right? You know, oh, yeah. oh he's a liar. Oh, yeah. um, the president's going after him pretty hard. Surprise, surprise. Because right, if right. you ever right. do something for this president and then later on do anything he doesn't like, he is going to trash you. That's right. So, I, you know, my sense is that there's a real concern, not that Bolton's going to like sway, you know, what is it? Um, 20 Republican senators into voting to convict the president. That's I mean, it's not going to happen. Yeah. But that he's going to um, make it look really, really bad that they're not doing that. Right? That, yeah. that, that putting Bolton on the stand, having video clips of him testifying under oath and penalty of perjury, yeah. that basically vindicates all the worst parts of this story, yeah. you know, is just going to embarrass the F out of the Republicans. And, and, and rightly so, if and when that happens. Because yeah. if, it, if it goes the way it seems like it's going to go, or it might go, what it will do is it will strip away all the denial arguments and leave only the ultimate argument that a few of them, like the chief of staff one time, uh, advanced that, that like, okay, all right, fine, 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 fine. You got me. That's exactly what happened. And this is But like, it's not impeachable anyways. Uh, that, that's where we're heading. And this is like, I mean, Maggie Haberman had a, there was a piece yesterday, I don't know if it was Maggie's or somebody else's, but I saw it from Maggie's tweet about how... Republican senators were blindsided by the revelations in the Bolton book. And it's like, no, you weren't blindsided by it. You have chosen to obfuscate and to, you know, shoo away from trying to get to the bottom of any of this. You're blindsided that, like, the White House didn't prevent this from coming out. Right. The the blind, the surprise is... And by the way, even the surprise was foreshadowed. Right. Bolton said he testified. He was subpoenaed. That's right. People knew he was writing, working on a book. That's right. Is it any surprise? No, no they weren't blind. No, I want to be clear. Yeah. They weren't blindsided by the book. They were blindsided by the White House's inability to prevent the book from coming out at the worst possible right. time. And even that is stupid because, like, how how would they? So let's let's now talk about what we have any vague ah. competence to talk about. Um, there's a rare move for us. We'll talk <laughs> about our stuff. Um, so. 
assume they get the votes and there will be witnesses. And if there are witnesses, Bolton will be one. So he gets the subpoena issues um, and the White House <laughs> desperately and, and, and others desperately want him to somehow nonetheless be precluded from testifying. What's the most likely, whether it works or not, what's the most likely pathway? Can they just go to the district court nope. and seek an injunction? Nope. So is it, well, map the possibilities and then tell us what's like. This is actually my final exam question on my common law exam with Bolton, not Bolton, or something but like, like that? it was. It was. It was. You know, something. Something goes at Twitter in the impeachment trial, and the president wants to go to court. Oh, that's um, awesome! So I think it was the 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 Senate agrees to vote by secret ballot, okay. um, and so so all right. Um, long and short version, right? Let's start with what the Senate impeachment rules say. And I actually pulled up. The Senate impeachment rules. I have, um, I have Kurt Vonnegut right here. So, indeed, Kurt. Um, so, rule VII, rule 7 of the Senate's standing rules on impeachment, um, provide that the presiding officer of the Senate, so Chief Justice John Roberts, happy birthday, Chief, um, shall direct all necessary preparation, blah, blah, blah. Um, the presiding officer may rule on all questions of evidence, including, but not limited to, questions of relevancy, materiality, and redundancy of evidence, and incidental questions, which ruling shall stand as the judgment of the Senate unless some member of the Senate shall ask that a formal vote be taken thereon, in which case it shall be submitted to the Senate for decision without debate. Or he, back to the chief again, may at his option in the first instance submit any such question to a vote of the members of the Senate. So this is really, I want to get to the core part of it, but just starting with like, suppose that in the Senate trial, Right. Uh, we call John, you know, House managers. We call John Bolton as a witness, and you know, uh, Jay Sekulow. I object. Right. His testimony is protected by privilege. Right. In the first instance, Rule Seven says that question goes to the Chief Justice, um, mm-hmm. and Rule Seven gives the Chief Justice the power to either decide it himself or punt it to the Senate. But wait, if I heard you right, right there's an option on objection from a member of the Senate. It then has to be put without. So decide. So sorry, decide it himself. Right. Right. Which can be overruled, right, upon objection and then majority vote, or, right, not decided at all and kick it to the Senate in the first instance, at which point he's out of it. So assuming that he's otherwise going to testify in the the obstacle is that the administration's arguing executive privilege for the, the parts that hurt. And, and well, but that's another problem, right? Is that executive privilege doesn't prevent him from testifying. It prevents no, right. him from testifying let's, to certain things. So just bracket that for a second, yeah. just procedurally to map, like, who's going to decide the different key stages. Yeah. Um, this example assumes the subpoena's been issued, he shows up, or wouldn't he be deposed first? Or I, so, that, I mean, it's not clear the what the subpoena could be. A, a, and I it could imagine be, it might be. It could be, be ad testificandum. It could be. And, and also, deuces tecum, yep. that is, bring documents right. with you, which is important here. Um, so, so, the, but, but the chief part's what's interesting because the chief has the choice, right, of either ruling first, put subject to be overruled by the Senate, the or passing the buck. And I have to say, yeah, he'll rule. Will he? Because because here's the thing: if I'm if I'm moderate Republican senator who has principles, which may be a zero set. Um, I don't think so, but go ahead. I know you don't. That's why I said I don't yeah. know. Um, right? Am I more likely to um, you know support a broad privilege claim? Before the chief justice has rejected it, or after? Oh, it's going to be much harder after the, after right. Chief Justice John Roberts has basically written an opinion explaining what the what's wrong Correct. with that sort of argument. Now, the chief, of course, is probably a pretty broad proponent of executive privilege, but not probably on the terms no. that and the so Trumpies are claiming. Let's it. let's have that as our goal: is to get yeah. to the the doctrine 
and, and apply it to the, to what's probably well, also, happening here. Also, exactly the purpose to cover stuff that's been talked about over right. and so over and over. That's over what over I place. don't want to yes. don't want to talk about that yet. Yes. Let's get to that. Okay. First, just imagine what will happen here. So imagine it's going to be a subpoena first to, yep. to be deposed with documents. Yep. What's the procedural posture? Uh, to stop that is it, is it a that the White House tries to intervene or or the or the or McConnell someone someone goes to court to try to prevent him outright from showing up because is it the the deposition wouldn't be in front of Roberts would it would it wouldn't be in the I don't know what, I don't know if the rule so I actually I should know and I don't know if the rule speaks specifically to how that would work so there are two right presumably assuming this comes out of the Senate so assuming that there is some kind of where the Senate itself so imagine four Republican four right. or more Republican senators right. have joined with the Democrats to vote right. to which issue seems them. which seems by the way apparently very likely to happen uh, you know the headlines keep going back and forth on this right um, so imagine that happens then the Senate right, he puts in scare quotes, has formally acted to subpoena Bolton. So I don't think McConnell can do anything. Yeah, right. right. So the just, White House moves to intervene lost. and tries to assert their privilege. So I see two possibilities. One is this all gets fought over in the, in the, in the forum of the Senate, right, under the auspices of Rule 7, where everything would be basically up to the chief to either decide or punt. Right. Right. Or um, Trump, as he's threatening to do, goes to court. Here's the problem with going to court. The problem with going to court is the Supreme Court's decision in Walter Nixon versus the United States. Judge Nixon. Judge Nixon. The other Nixon. The other Nixon. The Nixon who actually was impeached. <laughs> right, exactly. um, right. So Walter Nixon was a corrupt federal district judge who was convicted of various financial crimes and perjury, I think, but refused to resign his commission. Um, House impeaches him. Senate removes him, but they do so by committee. They couldn't even be bothered to spend time having the whole Senate try him. Uh, this is in the early 90s. Uh, Walter Nixon then brings a lawsuit saying that his trial violated his you know, various rights, including his right to due process and various other procedural protections, because he was entitled to be tried by the entire Senate and not just by a committee thereof. Um, and the Supreme Court in the Walter Nixon decision in 1993 says, um, well, the majority opinion by Chief Justice Rehnquist says this is a non-justiciable political question, meaning we're not ruling up or down on whether what the Senate did was appropriate because we have no, that's not our job. We don't get to police the process the Senate chooses to use. This kind of thing just ain't my bag, um, <laughs> right? And so the majority opinion says as a categorical matter that procedural disputes arising out of how the Senate conducts an impeachment trial are not justiciable. And indeed, if you actually go back and read the chief's majority opinion, the whole reason why he's like obstinate about this is because he thinks in a presidential impeachment, it cannot be the job of the courts, right, to be second guessing the political process. So what happens when they have the uh, subpoena go out, yeah. it's a deposition, yep. and the way, for, for those who haven't litigated or been deposed, I suppose, the way this unfolds in a normal setting is, so everybody's at the conference room, lawyers on both sides of the table, the witnesses. uh begins answering questions in response to whoever's taking the yep. deposition. You get to attorney-client privilege or some some question supposedly is infringing. Normally, there's a fight at that point. Yep, and if you, it's you go a, the judge. If it's a privilege question, you either reserve it and come back at another day after you yep. litigate it, maybe through filings. Or if you must, you get on the phone and you try to get the judge involved remotely, often by the phone. Maybe people get down the courthouse. Um, are they going to then be going to... Chief Justice Roberts, who on on what you've just yeah. described about Nixon, suggests is he's the only judge who gets to weigh in on this. There is no further pathway. There's no appeal from it except to the Senate itself. Well, he weighs in not as a judge. He weighs as in as the, the presiding, presiding officer, officer of, the of the Senate. Right. 
but he'll do it in a judgy kind of way because well, he's will. the do chief. So, okay, so any attempt to like go get an injunction to stop this whole thing, are you suggesting if there's a separate standalone finding, finding, filing to enjoin any testimony? It'll be promptly dismissed on the It should be dismissed doctor. under Nixon. Yes. Now, um, I want to be clear, there is a non-preposterous argument, right, that there are at least a couple of claims that Nixon does not preclude, right? So, yeah. so Nixon itself, the majority opinion by Rehnquist, talks about how if excuse me, if the Senate were actually to violate one of the three procedural rules in the Constitution for impeachment trials. Mm-hmm. So, for example, they removed without a two-thirds vote of those present um, if they did right. not go right. on oath or affirmation or if the chief didn't preside. Right. So to prevent constitutional crisis, there might be a few exceptions. But I don't see the argument. But, but like the whole point of Rehnquist's opinion was that's it. Like right. we can review maybe those three things and nothing else. Now, dear listeners, notice we haven't actually addressed the merits no, of the, the executive, executive privilege, privilege claim. claim. That we, by the way, is there anything other than executive privilege that would be the basis for trying to stop him from testifying? I mean, theoretically, right? You could claim it's classified, but right? No, they've thrown that around. That's in all. That's in all caps in the Trump. But it's tweet also. This morning. But it's also a lie. Right, it's, it's, it's a classified lie. It's false and it's classified. Um, it is certainly possible. It, it is certainly the case that as National Security Advisor, John Bolton became privy to all sorts of classified information. Sure. It's very possible that lots of conversations were conversations about classified information. There could even be these, I can, I can imagine the realm of possibility, some intersections where in talking about Ukraine stuff, in the course of the conversation, slivers or strands of classified information about you know perhaps surveillance capabilities or sources could come out in a conversation that has the national security advisor but the conversations that we care about that that apparently are written about in this book that probably will be published um seem to be conversations about policy and process and politics and who's doing what and it ain't about classified information well, but also the book went through a pre-publication review process. is that clear it's already been clear that's what, i thought that's what the letter said i thought the i thought that the that bolton's lawyer sent a letter that said guys we sent you this book for pre-publication review a process we should say to our listeners is designed to ensure that no published Absolutely. book includes okay so if that's the case <laughs> that may be the greatest, most hilarious, and perfectly fitting example of the inability. That there's there's this malevolence. I want to look, look up the letter because I want to make sure okay, I'm getting yeah. this right. So if it's right, you, you've got this malevolence or at least mendacious operation in in the White House that is also just so in, ineffective in in using the go. levers so of power it's, they've got. It's Chuck Cooper, um, who you know is hilarious. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, I guess what I'm getting at while you're looking that up is yeah. they they readily could have at least slow rolled that. That happens a lot. Yeah. It shouldn't, but so it does. I, I guess they I could guess. have slow rolled it. They could have actually tried to say, like, hey, these conversations are all classified. And if if their sort of bungling enabled this, that could have been a, a safety so I, th- I think the people, it may not be complete, but the letter is like this preemptive letter, like, hey, don't mess with us. Oh, um, well, that's very different. No, no, I know. So the letter is something like, da, 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 um, as I mentioned, Ambassador Bills carefully sought to avoid any discussion in the manuscript of sensitive compartmented information or other classified information. We do not believe that pre-publication review is required. Ah, so they, they didn't think it was required. Oh, I bet but, it's in his contract. Wait, but we are nonetheless submitting this manuscript out of an abundance of caution as contemplated by the non-disclosure agreements that he entered, commencing with those of April 5, 2018. Um, I appreciate your assurance that the sole purpose of pre-publication security review is to ensure the FCI or other classified <laughs> information is not publicly disclosed. In keeping with that purpose, it's our understanding that the process of reviewing submitted materials is restricted to those career government officials officials and employees 
regularly charged with responsibility for such reviews. <laughs> uh-huh. No, you can see their concerns, but actually this tells me that the administration, the White House, still may play dirty pool here and may, in some way or fashion, lo and behold, reveal that the book's been determined to have this whole section, maybe about 11 pages, <laughs> that, that uh, covers classified information and well, can't this, be revealed. So, this is like, so, that, so I guess right. what I'm saying is they won't be as stopped by their own pre-pub process, which clearly hasn't finished yet. Yeah, I guess that's right. So they I, won't I, mis- be I misunderstood stopped. the headline. But wait... Um, so the White House has now apparently, this is breaking news as okay. we're sitting here, dun, 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 uh, dun, the White dun, House dun, has dun, issued dun. a formal threat to former National Security Advisor Advisor John Bolton um, to keep him from publishing his memoir. Yeah, that's all, so this is all just posturing. Of course it is. So, so, but, okay, so, so, okay, so we're back to the merits. Yes. There, the way Lizzie this, Graham says we can read the book in a skiff. In ordinary litigation, the way this ought to work is the witness is in there, and the executive branch should be able to intervene in a regular litigation that's not precluded by justiciability concerns, should be able to protect executive privilege if properly invoked, and there could be. There, there's some possible basis for this. Well, would, executive privilege is a shield. It's not a sword. Like I'm not familiar with any law, so I'm not familiar with any lawsuit where the executive branch has successfully enjoined someone's voluntary um, compliance with a subpoena or other testimony on the ground. Isn't that it just like any privilege. other? I, I can't say that there's an example of it, but isn't the logic of it that it's a privilege that belongs to the president? Sure, but the, so if John Bolton wants to spill the beans on these conversations, if the privilege is otherwise enforceable. Bolton doesn't get to waive it. But I'm not sure. No, no, but hold on a second. But but the privilege protects against compelled disclosure. And if if Bolton is, if, you know, even if it's the subpoena that requires him to show up, if he's willing to answer a question voluntarily at that point, right? Why is it different from attorney-client privilege, right? So if my attorney, if I I tell my attorney certain inculpatory things uh, in the course of protected advice, and then the attorney... This gets complicated because my example I started to go through would have led towards crime fraud exceptions. Right, which, but just, let's just talk about, and by the way, is there a crime fraud exception to well, executive all, privilege? I mean, all of this. Why not? Yes. Um, but if it's something just embarrassing or whatever, and my attorney decides like, well, I want to voluntarily, I want to voluntarily share that with the public because it's salacious, I should be able to preclude him from doing that if the privilege attaches. I'm not so I, I'm embarrassed to say that I don't know if that's true or if it's just that like he's going to lose his job the second he does it and he's well, going to be disbarred well, it's, and, he, right, and you're going to have lots of causes of action against him. Yeah, well, okay, it's an interesting question. I think I would think you'd be able I'll to make say, that. I'll, I will just stick. say that I'm unfamiliar with any prior case, right, yeah. where privilege was used as a, as a sword, not a shield. But but I think most of this is moot, right? And I think most of it is moot because all of this shit is in the public domain already. Like, forget the book. Right, I mean, like you know, the president talks about this publicly. Bolton has talked about this publicly. So wait, other on. people have talked about we this publicly. Defi- we got to define this and be precise. So what what really matters here, the kernel, the one sentence in the manuscript that will matter is the one that maybe will say, "Is anything going to matter?" Yeah, that's a larger question. But in, <laughs> on the assumption that this is entirely a waste, um, there will be a sentence in there or a paragraph that describes in puts words in the mouth of the president uh, saying he said something, something, quid pro quo, absolutely, something like that, yada, yada, yada. Um, Bolton hasn't himself said that publicly. Uh, the whole point is that we we think that maybe we've been told it might be in this manuscript, and now we're trying to convert this into a public statement that can be part of the impeachment trial. So I don't actually know that the particular kernel that's the thing that matters a lot of the rest of it public, yes, but the thing that matters, I don't think it's public. And that's why this is also such a big deal, because we have reason to believe that John Bolton is admitting that, yep, 
If you give me the right way, I will say the magic words you're looking which, which, for. Which lead to which led to I thought the greatest tweet of all time by our friend Matt Tate. Did you see this tweet? No, no. What did he say? Wouldn't it be ironic if the only regime John Bolton actually succeeds in bringing down is his own? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That is so funny. That's I mean, awesome. I, you know, if the shoe, if, if the if the shoe fits. So, I, I, but I, I think the problem is, is that I will say. Can I yes. just digress? Also, I, I never liked Trump's tweet, but I gotta admit, it was, I did chuckle because he has this whole thing where he's trashing John Bolton. He he has a line that's something like, you know, and if I'd listened to him, we'd be in World War Six by now. <laughs> that that's pretty funny. And and, and you know, I I, I you may be right. I yeah. don't disagree. On no, that that's point. why it's funny. Right. I mean, even a stop clock is right twice a day. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I think there are at the bottom of this some interesting privilege questions, but I think yeah. most of this is a smokescreen. Well, here's why I think this matters, though, because okay, so it's not going to be separately litigated. But if Roberts yeah. is the key yeah. to providing the top cover for if, if his opinion rejecting privilege claims is that as the presiding officer is going to be the central thing, but if actually there's a real if it turns out there's a real privilege question here, it's not obvious he'll do what I think would otherwise be the right thing. All that said, based on the leaking about what the, the conversation was like, it's really hard to see that there could be a credible presentation to Roberts that any kind of classified information right. was in there. Instead, it's going to be deliberative privilege, which is totally different. Deliberative privilege can be overcome. Yep. Um, doesn't present the same degree of constitutional yep. Uh, yep. exigency. Yep. And so that's why I think in the end, Roberts will rule that this is admissible. Or, and then you'd have to have a vote to overrule him, or there, real hard. Or there will be a deal, right? Or, you know, the the four senators who the Democrats will need, right, to to make any of this happen are going to make a deal where they say, in exchange for agreeing to subpoena Bolton, we're going to sit down and hammer out exactly what the sort of scope of his testimony is going to be to avoid 36 rounds of privilege fights. Because one of the things that the White House has been doing has been saying to the senators, you should not vote to allow Bolton to testify because otherwise we're going to have to go down this rabbit hole. Right, like, and and they don't. Well, they just don't want to extend it, right? Well, but is that also, what you're saying. So I think there are two different problems. I think there's there are some senators who just don't want any egg on their face for any reason, and there are ones who just want this to be over no matter what, right? And you know, the Bolton testimony is going to complicate it, especially if it doesn't come with a deal in advance about you know the agreed upon scope of what he's going What's to say. What's the motivation for Romney and Collins, etc., to? Do any kind of deal other than just casting their vote to call Bolden and see what happens. I, I would th- I thought you were going to go down the Hunter Biden path because I feel like that's where oh god that's that's where that's the a whole different is, kettle of right? fish it is and and it does seem like the the kind of fallback position for McConnell is going to be to try to poison the chalice by saying oh okay well if I don't have the votes to st-, and I think by the way this is why it, all the headlines keep shifting I think it's a real serious problem because they're trying to, they're trying to create a false equivalency in the relevance of what John Bolton has to say which is you know is as literally as relevant as anything you could make up uh, and then the Hunter Biden thing which has this sort of narrative connection obviously but doesn't speak doesn't you know what he might say or might not say in no way can, since presumably Donald Trump isn't privy to anything Hunter Biden's about to testify, if he were made to testify, can't affect whether there's been obstruction of Congress, can't affect whether there was an attempt to uh, to exact this quid pro quo. All it would do is narratively, and this would be a big deal, narratively make the president seem sort of justified in it all in a larger sense if Hunter Biden could be made to look terrible through testimony. Uh, and more to the point, just further accomplishing the original goal of the whole damn thing, which was to recognize that Biden is his biggest threat. 
He's not nearly so worried about Sanders or Warren. Well, this is the and irony this of all is this. all about trying to tar right. the, the, his likely The irony of all opponent. this is that the, the impeachable conduct the president engaged in is the very thing that the Senate Republicans are now insisting that the Senate trial actually accomplish. Um, I don't think it's... I don't think it's, I think it's a little apples and oranges, but it's what it is. It's not what he wanted to achieve through the impeachable conduct is what will be and is being accomplished every time we talk about Burisma. Um, so anyways, what do you think is the most likely end result? Will we hear the words or do we, or is the, the impeachment going to conclude without the words? And then we all read the words uh, five weeks later or two weeks later. I'm so confused at this point about what's going to happen because, like, people are making decisions based on such apparent principles that I don't understand and can't relate to. Yeah, so you can't can't prognosticate it? I don't know what to say. There you go. We have to have a moment on the show of that sound every time. (sighs) Well, I'm with you there. Double. uh, Parallel. (sighs) Yep. All right, should we uh, abandon Bolton and turn towards our other topics? Uh, yeah, let's abandon Bolton. Everybody else has. I don't know. It, it, suddenly, you know, he could be the most popular. There is a version of this in which he comes in, lays into it, and there is a timeline in which that starts to perhaps unwind things. No. Yes, there's a t- there is a time a timeline for whom. Dr. Strange <laughs> checked out all the timelines for us. He found the one. All right. Um, we've talked at length on this show about the Inspector General's report uh, into the Carter Page investigations and the, the what was it, 17, some vastly surprising and remarkable uh, FBI investigative errors that, that infected the applications to the FISA court for Title I FISA surveillance orders on Carter Page. Um, and we know that there's this ongoing larger review across a, a selection of cases to see whether that was Carter Page specific, which in some ways is terrible because that adds to sort of this was a political use of FISA or politically inflected use of FISA, uh, but is good in that that would mean it wasn't a general problem with all of FISA. Or was it, in fact, a general problem, which is good in that it wouldn't seem like it was politics, but bad in that it would show that the whole system is screwy. Um, this is taking place against the background of the need to renew or not renew for sort of rifle shot provisions that are FISA-related that originally were due on National Cupcake Day. Now <laughs> the deadline is the Ides of March. And the more... There is uh, a reason for uh, Republicans to be concerned about FISA. The more the prospects for a bipartisan alliance that could be a coalition to get a bill through to a perhaps friendly White House on this issue to really pare back FISA in ways that no one thought possible or remotely likely two years ago. Um, there are some bills floating around that would do all sorts of things to to tweak the FISA system writ large, not just address the four things that are sunsetting. Um It's too soon to invest time in really talking that through on the show because we need some reason to believe that that actually might get through the Senate. But we're going to watch this space very carefully. And so the latest factual development in the meantime that tweaks all this is that the Justice Department uh, National Security Division filed with the FISA court uh, a remarkable uh, sort of mea culpa Basically saying, yeah, those four those four problematic uh, Carter Page applications, at least two of them were not justified, should not have been put forward. 
Now, that's a little bit the National Security Division saying like, yeah, now that we know what FBI did that we did not know at the time, we agree. This is terrible. Um, but it's just kind of a, Steve, I think it's just a remarkable moment. I, I don't recall that we've ever had anything quite like that. Are you aware of anything similar? No. Um, I can't recall that kind of sort of medical. I mean, there's not really an apology, right? But it's... it's you no, know, but it's saying a, like, yeah, we agree. This was, these, these were wrong. Yeah. Now, I think we should stress it was the, it was the, thir- it was the, the last two reauthorizations, right? So, so the, it's important to stress that the government did not disavow the original application, right? Or the first reauthorization. Um, so is this maybe at least in part about the later in the process yes. episode where that one lawyer yes. Yes. Uh, completely and objectively, crazily and wrongfully... Perhaps uh, criminally. Perhaps criminally remains to be seen, um, altered, uh, substantively altered the meaning of a communication in a way that caused NSD to make a wrong representation about whether Carter Page, what kind of prior contacts with CIA he'd had. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, yes, but I think it's worth stressing that contra the, you know, right-wing media frenzy, this is not DOJ saying the whole thing was a, a sham, right? This is this is DOJ saying that things went off the rails in the middle of the process. Yeah, th- which brings me back to something I thought was just really remarkable about the whole episode and the whole story. You know, FBI did, clearly did various things wildly wrongly and all so unnecessarily because the bar for showing that yes. there was probable cause to be concerned that maybe he was in Maybe as an unwitting, but nonetheless acting unwittingly, but as an agent of the Russians, be, there was grist for the mill there without doing any of the dumb stuff. Right. The the yeah. Um, but <sighs> all this is to say um, that I do think um, the conversation still ought to be right whether we need any structural reforms to the process. And some of that's obviously on the DOJ side, and obviously that's part of what David Chris's job is going to be in the next couple months. But I still think it would behoove Congress, if they could find a way to make this not partisan, to have some hearings <laughs> on FISA reform, right? And to actually revisit some of the proposals. You know, we're not going to agree on what the right answers are, but at least let's have it out. Well, ironically, it's only because it allegedly became partisan against Trump right. that uh, real coalition possibilities emerged where you might get more than just sort of the edge libertarians on the Republican side working with the liberals on the Democratic side. You you pull in a larger swath as, as, as Trump world has seeped like an oil stain through the Republican Party in Congress, pulling more and more in. It has brought with it that sort of uh, perspective of skepticism about the FBI in particular. Well, so the possibility that March will get super interesting, um, I think most likely that we actually just get another extension because if there's really going to be substantial right. change, I don't think they'll do it very quickly, no, no. especially if the impeachment begins to drag out yes. due to the subpoena Bolton issue. Uh, it's, it's, it, 2020 sucks. Well, you know, it's <laughs> worth noting this. Like We've all been assuming that the impeachment basically is going to be a January event. In, it's like the Super Bowl. It's like, yeah, all right, so the NFL season wraps up, the impeachment season wraps up, and then, then we're off to the NBA or whatever we do in the summer of the election. The NDA. Uh, this, thing, this thing may stretch on for a while. All right, quick lightning round. Gitmo, there's some hearings going on. It's some, there's some pretty- so, so, so the, the nine, there's so much going on in the 9-11 case. And as usual, I'm going to do such a poor job of doing it justice. I would really encourage folks to go check out everything Carol Rosenberg has been filing from Guantanamo over the last 10 days, because Carol, as usual, has been on top of it, right down to live tweeting the earthquake they had. Um, I think it was, was it yesterday they had a little bit of an earthquake. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, there's some pretty shocking stuff coming. So um, Mitchell and Jessen, these are the two contract psychologists who the CIA hired at the very beginning of what we now call the RDI program, the Rendition Detention Interrogation Program, to help basically figure out how to make the program in the, in the most neutral terms, most effective. They wanted to make it as coercive as they could, and they wanted to reverse engineer. Jessen and Mitchell yeah. were, I guess they were experts on how the Siri training, search, right. evasion, rescue, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the military training where you assume someone willing to act illegally and eth- unethically will abuse and torture American service members, and so you train them as, as much as you can to, to withstand or at least be prepared for what this might entail. And so these guys, the idea was, well, Flip that around, like, hey, let's use. This sounds so crazy, but like, let's use that and see if we can extract information from our most valuable detainees. And so, this is where you get waterboarding, walling, and some other stuff. But, but this always needs to be said used in combination, right? None of this stuff is like pick one and only use that and use it once. Used in combination with sleep deprivation and environmental manipulation, extended over time. And so, the, the net of them, this is definitely a. Uh, the, the combination is is perhaps the, the real quality to it that's the most abusive and coercive of all. So they developed that, and they were supposed to implement it. They made a ton of money doing yep. this, by the way. I mean, a ton of money, although they, they then had to pay some of it to the victims. So they're the only people, right, who have been held civilly liable for any of the abuses of Guantanamo or other detainees by the U.S. or U.S. Affiliated forces since 9/11, right? There was an out-of-court settlement in the civil lawsuit in Washington State, um, or in the well, federal district court in Washington State. Did they try to claim any kind of governmental immunity? They did, proxy? and and it was after those. It was after their sort of you know threshold defenses were rejected, right? And there right. was I think some modicum of discovery that they settled. Oh, interesting. But so, so if they'd gone all the mat, they may have actually gotten some immunity in the end, but they didn't want to risk it. Or they got a little, but not enough, yeah. right? I mean, so anyway, what what I find most horrifying about their testimony is what it corroborates, not what we learn, right? That, you know, it really does. I mean, for those who still think that there is a debate out there between the executive summary of the SSCI torture report and the CIA's response to it. Right. I mean, now you have Mitchell and Jessen testifying under oath in lots of ways that actually really go a long way toward um, supporting the the Senate Intelligence Committee's view of things. Anything off the cuff? Do you remember anything particular? So just it was contested that they said, no, that's right. It actually went down this way. That senior CIA program officials were told early on about problems with efficacy. Right, that this wasn't effective, that in Abu Zubaydah's case in particular, there were specific decisions made to keep doing it, even though it was having no, it was producing oh, no value. Right? I mean, like, there was a lot. I mean, I so they really, they kind of, they, they created this thing, and then they get in here now and testify and say, like, yeah, it was real problematic. We were supervising. It wasn't working. I did hear that they testified that it wasn't, and this is something that's been yeah. said before. It yeah. wasn't novel, but they confirmed, right, we observed it not being implemented within the boundaries we thought were critical boundaries of yes. how it's used. But also there was testimony that at least one um, one detainee was in, was subjected to these methods for no other purpose than to demonstrate them. Okay, so that, I thought, was the biggest takeaway. To me, that was new and yeah. novel. I hadn't ever heard that claim before. And to be clear, they said that it was it was an application not for the purpose of actually gathering information, but simply to do like a, hey, you want to see how this works? Hey, strap that dude down. That sort of thing. Not saying that's how it was actually said, but is that is that what the gist of it was? Yep. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Um, this is all in a procedural context in which what is at stake? This is in the 9-11 trial. What, what is this testimony being offered as relevant for? 
Um, so it's, I think a part of it's being offered as relevant to, I mean, there, there's still a whole bunch of pending motions about like dismissal for our government conduct, about constraining the scope of discovery, about what the defendant should be allowed to present to the members, about um, whether the death penalty should be on the table, about does, whether does the FBI's suppress clean team subsequent statements. clean team statements. Yes, this I mean, is about proving, creating the foundations for a, a, uh, a torture premise to taint the subsequent clean team statements. In, they were elicited by FBI agents coming in later on and just having um, ordinary non otherwise non-coercive conversations with them, uh, which raises the question, how necessary to the government's case are those subsequent statements? Obviously, they're helpful, but is the prospect for actually proving beyond a reasonable doubt KSM and yeah. Zibin al-Sheib's role and the others' role, is it is it much dependent on those. I don't. Words. I don't have a good feel of that, right? I mean, and and, and you know, I'm sure the answer is that the government thinks so, or else it wouldn't be going to the mat over all these issues. But um, maybe for one or one or two of the defense, but not all of them, right? But there's, I think also the the continuing specter looming over this case that maybe also part of it from the government's perspective is necessary to seek the death penalty, right? Not to not to prove guilt on the substantive charges about a reasonable doubt, but to prove the kind of aggravating circumstances. That might preclude an execution at the end. And so, and so, well, because right, because I look, my understanding of KSM is he didn't deny, he didn't deny he did this. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't have the impression that that's going to be part of the defense case in chief is like, hey, I was innocent bystander. I don't think that's the case. In which case, the, the end game really is about death penalty versus non-death penalty, I suppose, yep. or just delay. Yep. Um, now, I, I, has, I rush to add that I'm talking about his end game. I'm sure for many of the people invested in, in this topic – the end game is all about uh, sort of, you know, getting into the daylight, what actually transpired here and, and framing it so that people can see what was wrong with the interrogation techniques, et cetera. I get that. I'm saying KSM's, if he if he is perfectly happy to admit I was in Al-Qaeda, I orchestrated this plot, yada, 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 then what exactly is the client's perspective on all this? And I have to assume it's simply just to avoid the death penalty in the end. You know, I don't I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Yeah. And so, and so, but, but all this is to say, you know, this judge Cohen's got a lot of work to do. Um, and you know, that, that trial supposed to be trial in less than a year. Right? Uh, good luck, everybody. Yeah, I do recall somebody on this show, maybe us taking the over, taking the over on that. Yeah. Um, okay. Real quick. Uh, Gallagher. Oh, that guy. Okay. So what happened? Here. So Eddie Gallagher is right one of these um, soldiers who the president pardoned, right? Um, notwithstanding the substantial evidence against him that he had committed war crimes. Now, to be fair, because I, I can yeah. just hear people shouting about this, uh, he, w if I recall correctly, yeah. he was charged with a variety of offenses, and including murder offenses, and was not convicted on the murder charge. That's right, the murder of civilians charge. So I do think we have to be careful in how we. How we talk about the war crime element or the war, war Fair crime enough. But, but we should say, but we should say that like a number of his fellow service members testified against him. Right, for sure. Right? And that that's what and so now he wants revenge. So he posted a video on Facebook yesterday where, among other things, he names the people who he thinks wronged him. Right. He people gives their, testified against people him. People testified against him, where they're stationed, their addresses, and you know, yeah. basically implies threat implies like, you know, I we're gonna you know, not he doesn't actually say I'm coming for you, but right. he does you know, what's the point of putting so now, all that if, out there? If, uh, if you get charged with a crime yeah. and all all the faculty, we all testify against you, but you get acquitted on all most of, you? of the charges. Well, it's most of us. And, uh, uh, of course, Steve, I'm your lawyer. I'd be representing you. Say. Which is why you would be convicted probably on at least yeah, one charge. Fair um, but then you get pardoned. 
you would have every right in an ordinary as an ordinary civilian uh, who's not a service member. You'd have every right to put up your blog post about like all these people testified against me and my former yes, colleagues. Yeah, because I am not subject to the Uniform Code of Military here, Justice. Here's publicly information. Exactly. But, oh, you cut but, to the chase. But I would not have the right to post information that might that might substantially. I mean, the problem is I could be liable at least civilly, if not criminally, right? If I actually post information that was not generally available. Let's well, say I testified that, against you, yeah. and uh, you know my my home phone number, which I I don't know. You know, I think is. No, what if I posted your schedule? Right. I okay. say, like, I, I have access to Bobby's calendar. Well, let's He's keep it. Be... Let's make it exactly what he did, right? Yeah. So, you, you know, he works at the University of Texas School of Law, and his home address is XYZ Boulevard. Um, and somebody with a little sleuthing can find that, but it's not meant to be public, let's say. It's not, it's not something I circulate. I want it to be private, and it endangers me. Yeah. I don't see how I can sue you for that, and I don't see anyone can prosecute you for that. And what I'm getting at is, I think what happened here. Well, so, there's the truth that's strictly limited. Well, okay, well, let's come back to that. Yeah. My proposition is the only way there's any legal problem with what he did. I think morally it's a dirtbag move, well, obviously. True. But the only legal problem is that he is perhaps still subject to the – Not perhaps. Court, court, so, okay, is, so. is subject to court-martial jurisdiction and there are charges a whole bunch. that wouldn't apply to true. any of us in Good. civilian life. All right. So let's go there. So so let's assume, let's assume there's no possibility of civilian charges, although I think that would turn on the true threats doctrine and exactly how we interpret, right? But let's assume no yep. – okay. Um, he is – this is not a close question. He – is still subject to the UCMJ because he's um, in the fleet reserve. Because he's in the fleet reserve, he retired. But as as I spent oh a year of my life running bad into a rabbit hole, um, retired doesn't mean retired, uh, right? That, that's to say, retired in the military context means changing status to an inactive status where you are still receiving, among other things. Um, so in the fleet reserve, it's called retainer pay, but it's basically mm-hmm. retired pay. It's a pension. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons why it was important to him to be pardoned was so that he would be able to have this, you know, retired status as opposed to dishonorably discharged Dumb status. question. Does he have to be recalled to service to be court-martialed, or is his status in the Fleet Reserve, as you described it, already leaving him subject to court-martialed So he has to be recalled to be court-martialed, but he doesn't have to be recalled before the offense is committed, right? So so while sure. he's sitting right. on the Fleet right. Reserve, right, it's, and it's just – and the recall – So basically sorry. all retirees – are at risk of if they commit any crimes under the UCMJ. Under the UCMJ, not just civilian crimes. So, or civilian crimes that have been incorporated into the right. UCMJ through the general right. article. But the, for us, since the premise, which I know you don't necessarily agree with, but the premise is right. there are no civilian charges. Yes. So, the, the interesting question is if there's something extra expansive yes. as there is about UCMJ crimes, then you can commit those before being recalled to service. Yes. Okay. So then, the questions are one. I, mean, it, I should say, he's never going to be caught. I mean, they're not going to do it. No, no, no. That, that's a totally separate question. Although it would be hilarious if the Navy is like, you know, uh, we're referring charges against Well, you. I got to say, I, I, I'm too quick to say, like, of course they're not going to. I don't know. I think right now, Fort Bragg, in other locations, yeah. more coastal, yeah. I think in the special operations community, this sort of outing and, and, and attempt to expose to danger through personal information yeah. of all all these other service members. I actually, th- I can imagine that there's a substantial groundswell of desire to see something done about that. Like yeah. that's crossing a line, um, I think. I'd be interested to hear from listeners whether they agree. Now, what would the offense actually be? What is there in the UCMJ that is sort of this broad sweeping that's wrong. It's right. not a civilian crime, but there's, you know, is it some sort of just, is it conduct unbecoming? Is it, what is it? So here, so there, the there general are, article. So, so there are a bunch of different things. I don't think, so the general article is messy because most of that wouldn't work here. But um, if any of the people he's referring to, right, are, are of higher rank, 
right? There's disrespect towards superior commissioned officers. So if they're, mm-hmm. if any of the people he mentioned are commissioned officers and are superior to him, right? That's pretty disrespectful what he did. <laughs> that's Article 89. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe. There's insubordinate conduct toward warrant officers, non-commissioned officers, or petty officers, right? Um, and, can, and could you, are, is it possible that there is an insubordination element absolutely. to what he did? What, 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 what would he be, is there an order that we could point to? I, I suspect that there are. I mean, I suspect that there are things that could be pointed to in that context. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. There's to do. Um, someone else posted a couple of these the other day. Um, there's like uh, what da, 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 endangerment offenses. Okay, right? now endangerment. Interesting. Um, right. Provoking speeches or gestures. Um, but is endangerment limited in sort of a Brandenburg style way, see. where endangerment requires this sort of proximity in time and likelihood, et cetera. And because, because from a free speech perspective, uh, what he did is like classically an illustration yeah. of how Brandenburg protects some pretty dangerous speech, yeah. but there's not the but, imminent but threat the, of harm. But as we've talked about before, the First Amendment doesn't apply the same in the military. I mean, there's Article 88, right? You can't, it's, it is a court martialable offense to use contemptuous words toward right. the president. which is clearly protected. Right, no, I agree. So that's actually a further step. So if, if the steps are, yes, he's within jurisdiction, uh, yes, they decide to pull the trigger. Yes, we can come up with some charges that might work. He might then respond with a First Amendment defense that might that actually, I think, would work, I think, for an ordinary civilian prosecution where there would be one somehow, but might not work for him as a service member. In fact, probably wouldn't work. Anyway, but so, and I should say, because you know, not everyone may remember this from prior episodes, right? But I should say, um, you know, I spent the better part of a year trying to get the Supreme Court to take up whether Article 2A6 is unconstitutional insofar as it confers military jurisdiction over retired service members, including members of the Fleet Reserve. And that issue is still going in the Navy Marine Corps Court of Criminal Appeals, which on Friday, in a case called Bagani, split four to three um, as to whether a retired service member, whether the jurisdiction to court-martial retired service members violates equal protection. Um, two mm-hmm. said two said no, two said the defendant had waived, and so four voted to affirm his conviction. Mm-hmm. Three said yes. So one vote away from them not being able to recall Gallagher. Uh, yeah. It, well, at least for the moment. But no. So my point is just that like there is still this, you know, wholly apart from Eddie Gallagher being pretty much a terrible human being, right? There is this broader question about military jurisdiction over retirees that his case actually could be a, a fascinating test case Steve, for if you, the Navy you actually... should not insult the man. He could be your future client as you continue to litigate I wouldn't, this I wouldn't, issue. I wouldn't take you that wouldn't case. You wouldn't take that case. I wouldn't take that case. <laughs> All right. I love the issue, and maybe I'd write an amicus brief, but I wouldn't take that All case. Right, there you go. All right. Um, and, and therein ends our substantive conversation. Oof. We're going to turn now to frivolity. And, but, but, uh, for, but first, serious yeah. frivolity. But first, yeah. First, don't I won't say it with a happy tone in my voice, because we're going to talk first about Kobe Bryant Indeed. before we finish on a happier note with Picard. Um, so... My, I'll say this because I don't want to waste a lot of time saying what everyone has been saying. What an amazing athlete! One of the all-time like Jordan-esque levels of competitive fire and, and ability to to elevate in the most pressing situations. Um, I want to focus on uh, Kobe as a father of daughters, which you and I, Abu El Banat, Abu El Banat. Um, he is famous, was famous for how much he relished, as you and I do. Being a father of daughters, how it's it's it in not having sons. Uh, I don't really have any point of contrast, so I don't really have any, any opinions on that. I just know how much I love my daughters, mm-hmm. and how much I love the idea that I'm a father of daughters, and in all the things that enriches my life that way. And apparently, that was like a really big recurring theme for him, and it just 
as for part, me that part of the tragedy. that's the place where I connect the most yeah. with the tragedy other than just the celebrity aspect of it but also you know that Gigi was one of the victims well, well that that accentuates it yeah. so so yeah. badly so I just, I just wanted to name that so I, mean, I I don't I don't have much to add either I'll just I, I, I think Kobe is a good example about how we can valorize and celebrate people and talk about the complicated backstory, right? You know, complicated moments in their in their past, right? I mean, there's still this outstanding question of, right, the rape allegations against him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think it is inappropriate to say both that he was an amazing athlete, um, a, a, apparently an amazing father, and to say, you know, footnote, right? There's still this one awkward question. Like, we can be, we can have nuance in our history. Well, because real human beings. Right. This isn't, this isn't right. a We're TV real human show. Beings. Um, my one Kobe story. So Kobe was... Um, a year ahead of me um, in in basketball land, and 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 you know, light years ahead of me. <laughs> you in mean in like the D League or what? <laughs> but so 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 you know, I played. I mean, I played high school basketball right in the Mid Atlantic. I played high yeah. school basketball in Maryland. He right. was he played outside of Philadelphia, at Lower Marion. Oh, so you were like in in the universe of like teenagers that were Kobe it was up. known. Yeah. So I, Kobe, I, I, but yeah. so I never I never was at a tournament where he played. But um, I have a friend from college. Um, who was in his league, his high school league, um, and played small forward for his high school team. And Kobe was basically a small forward in 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 high school. Um, and my friend tells the story about the the night he guarded Kobe, um, and he has this big smile. Oh my god! He said, "I had <laughs> how bad did he get? I had up? the best night of my career. It was the best performance I'd ever turned in. I if if I die, you know, with that as my tombstone, so I'll take it." He held Kobe. He said, "I held Kobe." To 37, 13, and 5. <laughs> nice. I, he, he shut him Moral down, man. Moral victory. More, you know, he, said, he said, Kobe missed at least five shots that night, and I might have been responsible for one of them. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So, Well, my only uh, parallel to that was, so I played football rather than basketball, but our team was really good, went to state, and so you're sitting there. It was out here at the Irwin Center, yeah. right down the street, yeah. uh, which will soon be gone, and I uh, got there early. The, the Alma Heights game was going to be later. Cole High School in San Antonio, which I think was 2A, was going. They had this big guy, Shaq. Ah. So Shaq was playing because that's my vintage. And this was just the fun. I mean, it was hilarious to watch it. Yeah. This game was basically an NBA player, basically. Like these little high school kids. Yeah, surrounded by like children. It looked like what it would look like if Shaq went to go hoop it up at the junior school, like to play with some kids. And like when he felt like it, he would swat the heck out of the ball when the other team had it. Or sometimes he just. Wouldn't wouldn't interfere too much, but when he felt like he'd just block the shots, and then he'd go down, and if his if his buddies on the team weren't taking out that shots, he'd get the ball, and then every now and then just this massive dunk. And I was like, oh my god, that is the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Um, um, the best player I ever actually played against personally uh-huh. was Jason Capel. Oh, interesting. How how did that go down? Um, 37-13-5? No, it actually went pretty well because he wasn't trying. It was a rec. Uh, <laughs> it was a summer. It was a summer rec league game, um, and it was like you know their team was better than ours, and like he didn't have to put the put the yeah. hammer down. Yeah. But so the nice part was I actually looked great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my my best uh, my brush with fame. Uh, I think he was a senior when I was a sophomore. Ty Detmer. There you go. Southwest Dragons. They were in our district, and Alma Heights was playing them. Um, I got in really late in the game, and uh, he, I, I got like a hand as, as like the tackle. I was playing defense, trying to rush the quarterback. Uh, I'm getting driven into the ground by like their their left tackle, but like my hand is like on his ankle while he's throwing probably like a 60 yard touchdown bomb. Um, but I was like, ah, oh, later on, I was like, yeah, Heisman Trophy winner. I nearly sacked that guy. <laughs> I, I nearly, it, I, almost, 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 almost. All right, so we'll um, see. 
Picard. Okay. Uh, bottom line, I I really liked it. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I um, um, like, I I wasn't sure because I really struggled with Discovery. Um, so I don't have that burden because I actually haven't watched any like, of Discovery. Discovery is really hard because like there are things about it that are really good and there are things about it that are terrible. It's just mm. it is a deeply mixed bag. That's and it varies like episode to episode. Um, I was ready to be really disappointed and you know. The the opening scene, right? The the dream. So, spoiler alert: if yeah. you haven't seen the episode, we're about to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the opening scene's a perfect way to pick up from the end. But of it's so next ho- generation. So, so I was like, this is exactly. I was like, I got this is actually exactly what I want. It is hokey, right? Okay. But also segue. Like, and it gets you so interested, right? So, dream like, wait, scene- why is he dreaming about Mars exploding? Right. Okay. Now, did you watch Children of Mars, the short track, uh, seven or eight minutes? So go back and watch it now. There's a okay. little bit of a, a, a small backstory prequel oh. that was done with real high production value um, called Children of Mars. And it's about seven or eight minutes that just gives you a – it's meant to give you the sense of like what is this whole thing about the attack on Mars? And, and takes you back to what would it have been like at that time mm-hmm. if you were on Earth and hearing about it. And they do it through the lens of some kids. Cool. So it's really interesting. Um so I thought what the bottom line of what I want to say about this is is exactly what you'd expect from Trek. It's going to build a story. There's 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 a mystery. There's development. There are characters who are going to substantially implausibly change over time, and you're going to care about the whole thing so much more. This is not a procedural. It's not the darn Mandalorian. And and I gotta say, it, it start wars with Mandalorian and the recent movies just looked a little shabby as a matter of storytelling. Right. A lot the, shabby whereas, compared to this. Well, well, so my my I have two principal objections right to the episode, neither of which I think are serious. One is way too much going on in forty five minutes, right? So as opposed to Mandalorian, where it's like, hey, eight episodes to get into like one sort of idea, right, right, right. right? So they have the 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 whole sort of the the conceit of the of the TV interview. Where it's like we're going to have this interview so that we can, in five minutes of screen time, totally right. explain ba- everything that happened. In the basal last exposition years. here, Mr. Powers. Exactly right. <laughs> um, and so it's like it's all exposition. But it was very. I know you'll appreciate this because we reviewed True Detective a while yes. back. It was very True Detective. It was very true like detective. the whole setup. I'm like, oh man. Right, Picard, where, where, where she's like, where he's old Mahershala Ali. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're like, no, we agreed. She's not going to ask about me <laughs> uh, separating from Starfleet, are we? Of course not. And like two seconds in, like the aggressive questions. Um, I thought there was definitely some purposeful uh, script writing there yes. to to show a model in 2020 yeah. of somebody who is in a very principled way saying, no, this is not okay, and I will abandon my career. Right. In the public life, you know that that to, seemed deeply, and that seems deeply consistent with yeah. with the Picard from you know oh, um, totally from Insurrection, right? With the Picard from like the right. season six. It, it flowed easy from the character, but it, I felt like there were a couple of lines. It just felt like yes. they are very conscious that yes. where where's where's the Picard right? Okay, in our current life, um, Dodge. Right. Um, so first, um, the aesthetic. I love. I, I. At first, I was really jarred by how different the aesthetic is from Next Generation. Because Next Generation, it's a very bright, um, mm-hmm. yeah. soft edge, dark. You know, you see the knife go right in the chest. Right. Like there's some Next, blood. Right. Next Generation. Like this is this is you know very um, 
Battlestar Galactica or The Expanse. Yeah, it's like halfway there, right? right? It's versus, halfway to gritty. Versus Next Gen, which was so like... Yeah, bubblegum. Bubblegum. Yeah. And I like. I think they, they struck the tone really well I without think, turning it into Game of Thrones. I think they did too. It was, it was jarring, but I don't know. You can't have a TV series in 2020 with Next Gen's... You know, visual. No, it's just different. This isn't. This it's isn't different the 90s. time. Yeah. Um, and also the and the and the and the portrayal, the depiction of future Earth, right? The future Boston. Um, yeah, that was cool. I love finally seeing something other than San Francisco. Right. Although, so, but then when you see Starfleet headquarters, right? Where are the flood walls? Apparently, right. climate change is not a problem in twenty third century. In, in in this, in they this got region. a lot of technology. Um, all right, I had a couple other things I wanted to say. So the first was the the only thing about the entire episode that I found totally disbelief suspending was when Dodge randomly shows up at Chateau Picard for the first time and he's like come on in be my friend yeah. like uh, <laughs> hey you're supposed to think he's super lonely we don't have his, his Romulan friends to yeah, talk to yeah but like I mean what so so is this Jean-Luc Picard or Charles Xavier right I mean, it's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh that's so true yeah uh, is this is this Grey Malkin Lane <laughs> that's the thing right like I feel like he ought to have been like I mean he's been you know if everyone knows where he lives um, surely there have been random folks who have come by in the last right. 20 years. And that's, and that's a Game of Thrones season seven. Like, we don't have time to have it play out in a more true-to-character, right. right. We don't have time way. for a five... But this is my point about squeezing too much in one episode. We don't have time to have, you know, a five-minute sort of, you know, um, uh, IFF scene, right? Identify yeah. friend or foe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I like that, yeah. Right? Um, and then... And, and the reason why they don't have time... Uh, I love the I love the sort of... Uh, the whole plot arc about how there's this is all data and, you know, Maddox. Yeah. And yeah. that's cool, and I like where that's going. But it, it's clear in the last 30 seconds of the episode why they were rushing. Because they wanted to get to the big reveal. They have to get to the reveal. The big reveal. And, hey, and, so and, what and, are you, Romulan? What kind of projects you Romulans got going these days? Oh, a little rebuild. A little rebuild in a Borg cube. Ah, it's just gonna go fine. I can't see any problems there. So, so I, I'm, 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 I'm. I mean, it, it served its purpose, right? In yeah. the sense, you're that, hooked, like, right? I'm hooked. Um, the Borg assimilate. Like, why? Why are all of a sudden the Borg? And, and also, um, it seems perfectly appropriate to me that the that the that the uh, antagonist in a Picard series is going to be the Borg. Like, who else is it going to be? Right. Um, but I, I guess I, I guess I need I, I I will be curious to see how the show explains why the Romulans are all of a sudden buddy buddies with the Borg and the Borg aren't just trying to assimilate them. Well, I, my assumption was that the Borg ain't home. This is dead equipment, and they're, oh. they're repurposing, rebuilding. It was damaged, and they're rebuilding, and they're oh, trying so, to uh, oh, they're trying to get the tech without the infection. The Romu Borg. Yeah, or just the like Borg-ulins. hey, the new improved Romulans now flying cubes with more advanced weaponry, and we can control it until they can't. Right. Oh, and so Something it's going to be like, like a whole. So, so it's going to be what the second rule of sci-fi plots in in vis the Romulans. Yeah, you won't be. <laughs> you won't gonna, be able to control the technology. You won't be able to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I just have to say, like you know, I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but I'll be there. Oh, totally. But one little. I, thing. By the way, I broke down and paid for CBS all that. Oh, totally. Yeah. By the by the way, and so for next week for Valdi, perhaps what we should do is. We'll each go and look at like all the crazy random old CBS content that's on there. Because just like with Disney Plus, when you start right. scrolling, you keep finding these things after mocking it. You're like, oh, wait, no, I do want to watch the original Hocus Pocus. Wait, um, I do? And then with CBS, you're like, there's some pretty funny stuff there. It's like right off the bat, like my one of my teenagers is like, uh, hey, uh, Beverly Hills 90210, first season. I'd be curious to see what Luke Perry was like. You know, da, 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 da. <laughs> 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 All right. 
that's anyway, so 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 at least you know the the rule of law may be corroding, but you know ninety four year old John Luke Picard who somehow survives explosions that will kill any other ninety four year old. It's awesome. Yeah, that was a hell of an explosion, by the Indeed. way. Indeed, um, that was a hell of a, a vomit by that guy. Um, the task for you, me, and listeners. If you're on CBS All Access, go trolling. What's the what is most, the best? What is the, the best, best thing? Yeah, what's the best non Star Trek, right. non new thing? Best old thing that's, that's that, on that, there that, that, that you can watch on CBS All Access that you can't see anywhere yeah. else. And the more the more the more craptastic, the better. Ooh, that's going to change the context a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, it's oh next week for Valdi categories. What's the most craptastic thing on CBS All Access? And what's just the best thing? Those are two different categories. All right. So, uh, uh, listeners, you have your marching orders if you have access to CBS All Access. And if you don't, you get a pass on Netflix Frivolity. Um, <laughs> and, and I guess we have a – oh, do you want, you want to do a, a, a 30-second Super Bowl prediction? Yes. Oh, let me preface it. Let me say something that I keep hearing in other shows and we never say it. Um, if you've reviewed us on iTunes or elsewhere, thank you. I've seen some really nice reviews. I think uh, – Please go do it if you haven't. Encourage others to do it. And uh, we will kind of keep an eye out for it if we can remember. And if we get something really fun to read or or interesting, we'll we'll make a point of reading it on the air next time. Um, As for the Super Bowl, um, so I nearly nailed the score for the national championship. Let's see if I can do it for the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are going to beat the 49ers, and it's going to be 37 to 35. It's interesting. I was I had I was on thirty seven too. Really? Um, oh, so okay. so I'm gonna I'm gonna go, but I think it's gonna be a very different game. Okay. Thirty seven to thirteen. Oof. Ouch. No love for George Kittle and company, huh? No, I I, I love them, but I think that I think that the I think the Chiefs' game plan is going to take them out of their out of their mo, and I think you know they're going to have a hard time. You know, they're going to need Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball more than six times. <laughs> That's true. I think he can do it, and he'll make it competitive. And I don't think the defense is very good for the Chiefs. We'll have CBS All Access. We'll have Super Bowl, Super Bowl and um, there's something else I was going to say that was going to be oh Super Bowl commercials. Oh yes, of course the mo- the most important part of the Super Bowl favorite commercials. commercials. Uh, I don't know about halftime. I guess I can watch J Lo and Shakira. That's some pretty good entertainment value. I'm not really expecting like great musical value, but I'm sure it'll be a show. All right, that's it for me. What do you got? You're at Bobby Chesney. You're at Steve underscore Vladek. We are at underscore NSL Podcast. Um, I, I, I mean, I say it every week, but wow, stay safe out there from those those pesky, you know, book deals. Adios. I hope we don't have a coronavirus quarantine show next week. I hope we don't have a coronavirus quarantine. (laughs) Same, same.